So why don't you first off, start off just telling me your name and when you were born and where you were born. My name is Albert Frank Papa Jr. He was named after my father. Uh, born in Clifton, New Jersey in 1948. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was the fifth of seven kids. So um, it's, it's a whole different way of, uh, of growing up in a, in a large family. Mm -hmm. yeah. What was it like? Oh, it was, um, you know, we all had our own lives. You know, uh, like your father-in-law was three years older than me. Yet him and I shared the same room, the same bed together for years mm -hmm. because we grew up in this little shoebox. And uh, wait, you, you had know, the same brother, you had the same bed as my grandpa. Yeah, we slept in the same bed. We used to have wrestling matches <laughs> in the bed. We get in the corners you know, and we go after each other. It was, uh, you know, I grew up with him, but he was yeah. three years older. So his, his, uh, social life was a lot different than mine. You know, uh -huh. we didn't socialize much growing up mm -hmm. because of a little bit of age difference. Although, uh, you know, I had an advantage over a lot of kids, my age, um, because I had three older brothers. Mm, you're the backup. So, so when, you know, when we were down the park and I was nine years old and they were 14 or 13, 14, 15, whatever they were, and they needed another man on the court, they would call me, come on, mm -hmm. get in here. And I would play with the big boys. So as a kid growing up, all the teams that I was on, uh, you know, I was a, one of the best kids on the team, you know, of course, all that changes as you grow up and, when you start smoking young and my mother always say, you're going to stunt your growth. You're going to stunt your growth. And I sure did. You know, <laughs> how old were you when you started smoking? Oh, I was about seven years old. Yeah. Seven yeah, years yeah. old. That's ridiculous. Seven years old. I, I was like uh, one of those uh, kids in Italy, you know, walk around the streets smoking. You know? <laughs> Where did you get your cigarettes from? Um, my friend's mother smoked Salem's and I hated them. them. You take them out of her purse? He would. Yeah. Yeah. He would, he would get a bunch of cigarettes and we'd go into the woods and puff up, you know, <laughs> like big, <laughs> like big shots. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, wow. Do you have any other memories of when you were a little kid like that growing up? Oh, I have, um, you know, when you when you're that young, you you know, you lose a lot of that. You, I don't think there's many children who could detail their childhood. You for know? sure, for sure. But but um, I do remember being uh, uh, tied to the tree in the backyard huh. in a little in a little harness and a rope. You know, they probably gave me 10, 15 feet, whatever it was. And I would be under the pine trees on the side of my house. Like a know? dog. Like a dog. No, <laughs> I, it wasn't. It wasn't cruel. It was. It was uh, safe. You know. And, so it was your uh, mother who tied you up. Uh, yeah, or my sister Josephine, if it was her chore, or 
go tie your brother to the tree. You know, who, <laughs> who's ever turn it was. Yeah. But oh. uh, yeah, I remember that. It's, it's, it's so vivid. I remember uh, um, uh, segments of growing up, my brother, Tom, your father. And, my grandpa uh, is my grandpa. He's, he's my grandpa. Yeah, your grandpa. What did I say? Oh, father-in-law. What am I thinking? Yeah, your grandpa. Um, uh, I have a lot of memories of growing up in the backyard with him. Yeah. One was we were playing um, uh, wiffle ball in the backyard. We used to use that back room that grandma had that we all used to eat in. Uh, That was our backstop. And if you hit across the street, that was an automatic home run, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. At one time, I was uh, he was pitching to me, and I wouldn't swing at the ball. And he was getting pissed off more and more and more. He finally picked up a rock, and he said, you better swing. <laughs> and I was laughing. And he took the rock and went like this. So I ducked, and he rolled it on the ground. Oh and it hit me God. in the side of the head. And I, I got three stitches on oh the side God. of my head. He threw a rock and, at you. Uh, yeah, he threw a rock at me. He, but he rolled it. And, he rolled but it. I ducked because I thought he was going to throw it. You know? mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, he got a beating for that. He oh, got man. a beating for that because I'm sure he did. My father had to take me to the hospital. You know? Yeah. How old were yeah. you when that happened? You remember? Oh, how old was I? I don't know. I might have been 9, 10, mm-hmm. 11, maybe. And yeah. would you guys play a lot of games in the streets like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What yeah, else did you play? Uh, we had a, a basketball hoop that was nailed up to the telephone pole. You know, and uh, but the thing was, the good thing was, you know, growing up, I mean, um, we were poor, but we didn't know it. We had everything we needed. We had mm-hmm. a roof over our head. My mother was the most fantastic cook and baker and family maker that you'll ever meet. She was just tremendous what she did. The meals she put out and the bakery goods she cooked us. And so, uh, you know, and growing up in that environment is priceless. It really is. Yeah. Tell me more about the meals. What did you guys eat growing up? Oh, Sunday was a big day. Sunday was a big day because my father was home. So we would have pasta and either a roast beef or a, a, a ham or chicken or whatever, you know, but always a big family meal, salad and vegetables mm-hmm. and uh, great meals, all, all home cooked, of course, you know. And did you guys all- always have enough to eat with all those kids and being poor and all that? That's what I'm saying. You know, we were poor, but we didn't know it. You know, we we didn't have a lot of things that other kids had, but that was materialistic things. Mm-hmm. We had the joys of life, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. in that's my eyes. You know, yeah. my brother may see it in a different way. You know, tell me about the but, joys. Uh, what do you mean by the joys of life? The joys of life, um, being together, rooting for each other, um, um, 
sitting down Sunday at a meal together, um, piling into my father's old Studebaker or, or, or DeSoto or whatever he was driving at the time, driving to New York, down to Greenwich Village to care for my mother's mother, who was an invalid. invalid. Uh-huh. Yep. She, uh, she was hit by a taxi and bust, got busted up and became a cripple and lived in a cold water flat in Greenwich oh, wow. Village. Yep. And we used to go there every Sunday. Mm-hmm. We used to pile in the car. And uh, we, we'd go there and do her laundry and do her shopping. And my mother would get her cleaned up. And, you know, um, me and your brother, uh, me and my brother, your, your grandpa, grandpa uh, we used to run around the streets while, my, you know, my mother was caring for her mother. In New York? Uh, you know. The streets of New York City? The streets of New York City. My mother was born and raised in Greenwich Village. Yep. And uh, very hard life. Very hard life. And, uh, yeah, you know, my father was born and raised in Brooklyn. So mm-hmm. New Yorkers, you know. and Yeah. And then they moved to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I heard a story from Uncle Bob that you used to be like a little terror running around your grandma's house in New York city. And Bob said that your grandma would always be yelling, like get him out of here or something like that. My, at my grandmother's house. Yeah. That you were always in causing, Brooklyn? causing mischief is what Bob said. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, I, I was the black sheep as, as, people label it but i didn't feel like i was a black sheep i was just um more aggressive than anyone else you know to to do things to try different things you know and i I was 14 years old going to new york drinking with guys that were 17 18 years old yeah really so yeah 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 i uh i i had quite like i'm telling you sam i had quite a ride (laughs) you know what it tell me about what you like? Yeah, like you. So, so tell me about your teenage years. What kind of stuff did you get up to? Teenage years. Teenage years were rough. Um, um, I I hated school. I mm-hmm. hated school after the third grade, um, where I, I got left back in the Why? third grade. Why was that? Um, for dis- disciplinary reasons. <laughs> Um, I I took an elastic band and I was joking in class and as the teacher walked by I took the elastic band and I aimed it at her behind and all the guys all the guys are laughing at me and it slipped out of my it slipped out of my fingers and it whacked her in the ass and she jumped and and I you know I got uh, I caught hell for it you Mm -hmm. know and uh it's funny because, um, you know, the, the principal, Sister Carita, said to my mother, well, you know, for disciplinary reasons, we think we, uh, you know, we should leave him back a year. And my mother agreed to it. And for the rest of her life, all she did was um, um, apologize to me for having listened to that nun and leaving me back. She said, mm. that was the worst thing I ever did to you. And I, and she used to ask like forgiveness 
You know, I said, really? Mom, you got nothing to be sorry about. That's you very know, sweet. It's, a, it's the way it goes, you know. But yeah. that's how my mother was, a compassionate, loving person, you know. So it, it really bothered her, though. And I knew it, you know, and I, there was nothing I could do to, to comfort her about it, you know. So And uh, was it, you know, well, I've talked to um, Uncle Tony and Bob and my grandpa about the nuns at the Catholic school and how mean they were and how strict they were to the kids. Oh yeah. 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 Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, you know, the the mean ones were the mean ones and, and the loving nuns were the loving nuns. They were good nuns, you know? And um, I was the favorite to several of them, you know, and uh, I, I always got along with them, except the disciplinarian nuns that would um, crack guys on the, on the knuckles with a ruler. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I remember one guy, um, uh, I, 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 I know all their names, and I don't know if I should use them or not, but he was um, like nodding out at the desk, mm-hmm. you know? And the nun came up behind him, smacked him in the back of the head. He hit the desk and cracked his two front teeth. Jesus. Cracked him, cracked him right off. Fucking you know? A. But that's that's how it was, you know. And 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 the parents all thought that the, the teachers were right, the nuns were right. That know? that little kid deserved to get his two front teeth knocked out. That's messed nah. up, man. That's yeah, messed yeah, up. That, it is. It is. It was <laughs> child abuse. It really it was. It is child abuse. Yeah. And back then, yeah. it seems like they didn't really care. Yeah. No, because that it, 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 it deterred a lot of people from being, you know, terrorists. <laughs> yeah. And um, and uh, so tell me more. Did you get into any other hijinks when you were a kid? Any other pranks that you want to share with our audience? And our audience is just our family, so that I want to share. Any other funny uh, pranks you pulled on teachers or any instances of disciplinary uh, Oh, we situations? did. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's funny how your mind works because things that um, don't mean anything to me, I don't retain. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like restaurants. I could be in the finest restaurant in New York City and the next day forget what restaurant I was at. Mm-hmm. You know, because it doesn't mean anything to me. You know? <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It's a restaurant. You know? and, yeah, totally. So I don't know. So um but as far as the you know um, stories about nuns that I remember one time uh, a, a friend of mine, Berechko. He, he squared off with the nuns in the hall. What? Sister Jones. Oh. Yeah, squared <laughs> off with him. <laughs> he was swinging at him. And we we're all gathered around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. funny. That was funny. Uh, but, uh, no, they were good years. Uh, you know, all my grammar school years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the only... I was the only sixth grader to ever play uh, CYO basketball. Mm-hmm. That was reserved for like seventh and eighth graders. 
So you were pretty good? But but I was good. And, I, you know, I knew all the guys that were older than me, you know, the next year older, mm -hmm. because I got left back, you mm -hmm. know? So, um, yeah, we always had winning teams. It was amazing. The winning teams that I was on, and most yeah. valuable player. Mm-hmm. But that all went by the wayside when I got to high school, you know. What happened in high school? My my my, my athletic career went south from there on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, I didn't like school. Yeah. And um I was I was in the sophomore year after having a great freshman year. Um I was the most athletic in the, in the class, in our ninth grade class, graduating class. And um, I got to be a sophomore and we, uh, a friend of mine and I, we cut a class, uh, mm -hmm. an English teacher's class who was a drunk. She was a drunk. <laughs> Your anyway, teacher was? Uh, yeah, the teacher was. She'd yeah. be drunk, would she be drunk in, in school? Well, I would think so, the way she acted, you know. Yeah. So anyway, we cut her class and we got suspended. So, of course, I was on the, on the uh, uh, JV football team. Mm -hmm. And so was my buddy. And uh, we, uh, we got suspended, so we were suspended from the team. So... Uh, they they knew that I was the trouble, troubly, you know, troubled kid for whatever reason it was, you know, yeah. my own, my own doings, yeah. you know, it's all, it was all on me. Mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, uh, so you we were cut the, young... the class. Oh, go ahead. We Finish cut the class. Story. We got, uh, we got um, suspended from the team and um before I can go back to the team, I had to meet in the in the principal's office with my father and the head football coach and the counselor and the principal. Uh oh. I don't want to go to school. <laughs> I want to. My father, please. My hey, father was so heartbroken. Hey, I missed. I, said, I, I don't missed want to go it. To school anymore. I missed that. I lost you. I lost the connection for a second. Oh. I need you to go back. I'm sorry. <laughs> Take it go from back. Uh, okay. When you, I, I missed the, the end of that story. Where, uh, we're in the principal's office. No, before that. Before that. Before that, you were cutting class. Um, you were telling me you were cutting class. Oh, 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 we cut class. We got suspended from school, uh -huh. suspended from the football team. And then before I can go back to school, I had to go to the principal's office with my father and um, the head football coach and the counselor. And we're in there, and they said, Well, you know, if you want to do the right thing and behave yourself and you can come back to the team. And I said, eh, all right, I'll try this. I said, I said to my father, dad, I don't, I don't think I want to go to school. And he was brokenhearted, brokenhearted. But uh, 
because he used to say, they used to say, oh, uh, he was Big Al. They used to say to Big Al, boy, that's some Bob of your, what a player, what a, and Bob was quite, he was an All-American in high school. So, uh, you know, my, they used to go to my father and say, oh, what a, what an athlete Bob is. And my father used to say to him, yeah, you think Bob was an athlete? When you see this guy, <laughs> meaning me, you know? <laughs> yep, uh, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we we uh, we go. I go back to school, and it was back to practice for the first time. So um, Jack Crone, who was a, a defensive end, and I was a corner linebacker, and we're scrimmaging, you know, and um, I said, Jack. We can't let anything get by us. Either you hit him low and I'll hit him high, or you hit him high and I'll hit him low, you know. And we, I, I think we put two or three players out of practice that day, you know. And after practice, the JV coach says, All right, everybody to the showers. Okay, Papa and Crone, 20 yard line sprints. Wind sprints. Said, coach. I just played my ass off for you. Now you, you, you want me to run Richmond? I said, what about them fat asses who can't move? Get them out of here and run it. I said, that's it. I quit. I dropped my helmet on the ground. I walked to the house. And I told I went home. I told my mother, I'm not going back to school no more. You were done. I'm not doing it. I was done. I'm done. I'm done. Hey, uh, hold on. Hold on just one second, okay? Go ahead. All right. Um, tell me a little bit more about your dad. How do you remember Big Al? Big Al and I spent a lot of time together when I was a kid. Um, Big Al was a gambler. Mm -hmm. Loved to, loved the ponies. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That surprised me. My brothers never told you about they Big know Al? No, they, I mean, they told me a little bit about him. They didn't tell me he liked to gamble, though. Oh, they didn't. Oh, geez. They held back, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I could remember my summers going to racetrack with my father. And we, we hit them all, you know. Racetrack. And in... if we did good. Which racetrack? Oh, New York. You know, upstate New York, Monticello. Um, yep. uh, you know, the, the tri-state area. And mm -hmm. I, I'd be with him, you know. I was there at, at Aqueduct one time when a when a, a jockey was training a horse by himself on race day, but he was by himself running this horse, running the pace, you know. And he hit the rail and was killed right there in front of us. What? And yeah, yeah. Oh, that's I, crazy. I, I'll never forget that, you know. Man. I don't uh, remember his name or anything, but uh, I remember the, the circumstances. Not yeah. a lot of people have seen something like that before. No, no. Well, there was a whole crowd that saw it, you know. <laughs> but did he, uh, uh, was that something that you and him did together or would the other guys come too sometimes, your brothers? 
Uh, well, I'm sure my brothers were at the track with him several times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they spent time at the track with him. But um, like I said, during the summer when I was a kid, you know, that's where I used to go. He used to work third shift. And, uh, you know, his his uh, mornings, he would see us before he, you know, took a nap. And then he would go to the track or whatever and come home, get a couple hours sleep and go to work. You know? Oh, so he was working midnight. the midnight shift, huh? Yeah, yeah. What was his job? And, uh, what was Where was he working? Uh, Curtis Wrights was, uh, during the war, building airplane motors, you know, he was an expediter and, uh, and then they moved on to, to the rockets, the X-15, he worked for Reaction Motors, oh, who wow. built the X-15 rocket and they used, uh, the, the engine that react from Reaction Motors where my father worked. Wow. And uh, yeah, we he had an opportunity to move to Utah, I think it was. And uh, I often wondered, I said, gee, what a different life that must would have been for me, you know, if he would have made that move. But we didn't. We didn't make the move. I'm glad you didn't, because I would have been growing up in Utah. Um, you probably wouldn't even be around. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yeah. wait, they were like rocket ships, like going to space, or you mean like fighter jets, or like what type of? No, uh, 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 going into space. Oh wow! Uh, 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 manned aircraft. Wow. Going into space, like the like the shuttle. Yeah, that's know? crazy. I didn't never knew that. Oh yeah. Before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I remember him working, and they were always defense jobs. Uh huh. So it was a lot of contract working. And you were probably born right at the end of World War II, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so you were a baby boomer along with your siblings. And I wonder how, um, I mean, maybe you don't know because you weren't born yet, but I wonder how that experience was for your parents. I'm curious about that. Um, uh, I, I really don't know. Cause I didn't experience any of it. And I don't, I don't know what it was for them. Did they um, ever talk about it? Having, uh, talk about what, where they came from, what they, uh, yeah. Or just what it was like, you know, living through that. Through the war. No, I, it, it was never spoken much of, you know, um, you know, I, I grew up in the Eisenhower years, which were fantastic years. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I don't think um, you got to have any better childhood than I had. I mean, we had everything. We had a basketball, football, baseball, a park down the street, plenty of kids, um, you know. You know, we didn't get away. We didn't. And I can never remember us taking a vacation together. We never yeah. did that. You know, yeah. but you had fun. But you, we, were, you had your independence. Yeah. Yeah. We had the uh, fire hydrants that they used to open up and flood the streets. And we used to run through the spray of the fire hydrants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sit in the gutter and let the water run over you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds like a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. So, um, tell me about what happened uh, in high school. We Back in high school, you. Oh, back you, to high school, huh? You weren't, uh, you weren't a good student. You didn't like school. 
Uh, no. You quit the football no. team. What happened after you quit the football team? Yeah, I went to work in a in a garment factory. Oh, so you dropped out? You dropped out of high school? Oh yeah, yeah, I dropped out. I think they still might be carrying me on the uh, absentee list <laughs> because I I never signed out. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then you went to work at a garment factory. I went to work for a garment factory. Uh, Bobby B. B. Cars. Uh, his father worked at this garment factory along with his brother. And uh, we used to get these 500 pound rolls of material. We had taken like from the elevator out to the tables and we had to put them on the spools and we used to roll the, the fabric out. And then after the fabric was rolled out, they put the stencil on top and they would cut out all the pieces for the garments. Mm -hmm. uh, it was undergarments. So it was women's underwear and bras, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So you worked at a bra factory. Yeah, but there was no benefit to it. They were all empty. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's kind of funny. I don't know. Yeah. It's a unique yeah. job. It's a unique job. Yeah, well, you know, it's 16 years old and you don't know shit from from Shinolas. And, uh, you know, where, where do you start? Yeah. So yeah I, totally. That's what I did. You know, then I got my license. It gave me a little flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, that was a, a, a traumaton in my life. Where the day after I was 17, my father died. So that was a big letdown. You know? Yeah, of course. And uh, it used to bother me when my friends used to argue with their fathers. And I said, man, you don't get it. He, he, you only get one of them, you know, and you better get along now. <laughs> so it used to bother me. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, tell me about how that went. I mean, what was it like for you? Well, it, uh, like I said, it was uh, a real letdown, you know. And then what happened was, you know, I, uh, I became a little independent because I had some change in my pocket, you know. I gave, if I made $60 a week, whatever it was, and I gave 25 to my mother and, you know, I blew the rest, you know. I wasn't a saver. What'd you what'd you, you know? spend it on? What did you do? Oh cigarettes. <laughs> all, the, all the nasty things in life. You know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just going out, hanging out with my friends and you know, going here or there. You know. Mm -hmm. We used to uh before we were old enough to drink, we used to go to Pasek, we used to go into the bars and you, we used to buy these pork containers, cardboard containers of beer. Yeah, you know, I have twelve quarts. <laughs> twelve quarts. You go walking out to the car with twelve quarts of beer, and they would serve it to you when you were a teenager. Oh like yeah, that? oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They didn't care. Yeah, that's funny. now they had to make money. They were making a living, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that Take was all. Chance. That was all in Clifton. That, that was we. We used to go to Passaic. It was uh. I don't know if there, I don't think there was any in Clifton because we didn't want to be recognized, you know. Mm. So. You were playing it cool. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get out of town. <laughs> yeah, and you said you used to go to New York City and drink beer with the older kids in New York? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I was about uh, 14 years old, I worked part-time at Nina and Joe's. It was, uh, it was the cafe in the bowling alley mm-hmm. um, uh, in Clifton, Bolero Bowling Alley. 50 lanes it was state of the art at the time it was built you know and it had a big bar and entertainment area mm-hmm. and uh it had a chinese restaurant and it had nina and joe's cafe and i worked there during the day flipping hamburgers you know doing whatever and at night i would go next door to the chinese restaurant and i wash dishes and, you know, I always had money in my pocket and I would hitchhike down 46 to Main Street and go to the pool hall mm-hmm. and meet up with all the guys and oh, let's go to New York. We'll go to New York, you know, drink up, have fun, party. Yeah. You know. it sounds like you had a pretty fun time then in your youth. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, uh but it, it got out of control. Like when after my father died, I started to lose it a little bit. Yeah. Drinking too and much. And I thought to myself, well, ha- ha- drinking too much, um, starting to use drugs. You know, drugs were coming into the scene. And uh, it, it got bad. And I says, I got to do something. Mm-hmm. So I said, Ma, I think I'm going to join a service. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you sure? you? I said, Ma, I'm going to do it. So I went down and I volunteered for the draft. Which oh. means, you know, which means, you know, it doesn't, uh, you got no choice of what you're going to do. When yeah. you're drafted, you, you're usually right to the infantry, you know? And, and that's um, how I, I wound up. And, and and how old were you when you did that? 18. Oh, wow. 18, yeah. My father died. It got nasty. I had to do something. So I want to get the hell out of there, get away from the drugs, go to Vietnam, and fuck. And drugs all around me. It's worse than being home. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I know. Yeah. I've heard a lot of stories about. Yeah, a lot of guys got hurt by it. Yeah. So um, where did they send you? I was uh, I was a replacement, um, which meant I traveled alone because uh, uh, a lot of times they'd send you over as a group, as a battalion or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we were replacements in 1967. Um, we were placements for people who were killed and wounded and taken out of action. So they had to replace those people. And I was a replacement. Wow. Yeah. What was your job? Uh, infantry, cutting through the jungles, trying to hunt down Charlie, you know, set up uh, ambushes and, and crawl through tunnels and go into bunker complexes and, um, it was an experience. It was, uh, it sure to hell grew you up. Yeah, I bet. 
you know, and uh, and if you had any bit of innocence in you, it was gone. You know, you know, it was it was it was senseless. It was useless, and uh, and it just shows you how fucking stupid these politicians are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a senseless war. We could have made peace with Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh was a good man. He loved his country. You couldn't, you can't hold that against him mm-hmm. and the people loved him. Mm-hmm. But political reasons, you know, this guy McNamara used us like we were pawns, like we yeah. were nothing. It, did, we were uh, dispensable, you know. Did you have a sense of that when you were out there or when you were out there, did it seem at the beginning like maybe you were doing something that was important? Well, when I when I got out there and I started realizing, yeah. I'm never going to make 20 years old, you know? And uh, it, it was, um, you become numb to it. It becomes routine. You, you, you hump all day long, you cut through jungles, you, you root out villages, you, you know, you're chasing the enemy, you, you know, you dig in at night, you, Eat your sea rations, you know. Every once in a while, they fly you in a hot meal, you know, uh, dry clothes, you know, sundry packages with chocolate and cigarettes, and, you know. It was an experience, um, you know. A few times people had asked me, oh, where'd you go to school? I said, oh, I went to the University of Pleiku. Oh, really? Play cool. What, what did you study? Jungle warfare. <laughs> <laughs> that was my that was my major. You know. Wow. I was 18 years old and I was learning how to fight in the jungle. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah. did you ever feel like you were not going to make it out of there? Um, it's it's the guilt that you live with afterwards when you make it out of there. Mm. You know, why did this guy die? Why did that guy die? That guy was so, such a good guy. Why did this sergeant die? 47 years old, got transferred from Germany. Um, he was a paratrooper. And they were doing exercise over Germany. This one guy wouldn't jump out of the plane. So he pushed him out wound up with some senator's nephew that he pushed out of the plane. So they broke him in rank. Now here's a guy that had maybe 20 years, maybe a little more in the the army, lived in Germany, had a German wife and children, pushed this punk out of the airplane, wind up front uh, line duty, Vietnam. Oh, wow. We're going through the jungles. I'm his radio man. And we're going through the jungle, single file. Going through and all of a sudden, bing, bing. I look, this sergeant took one around right in the chest. Whoa. Now what they try to do, the enemy always tries to take out your communication. So they see the guy with the antenna, they want to shoot him first. So they were definitely aiming at me. 
and he was right behind me and they got him. Mm -hmm. And remember him falling forward into my arms and I said, this ain't, this, this ain't happening. You know, why is this happening? Yeah. But yeah. that's just, you know, one story. Yeah. And it, it, it was a horror show for so many people. And even though you might have been in the same fight together, you see it through your eyes and they see it through their eyes, you know, and it's a, it's the same experience, but different, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. It was a hell of a, uh, uh, an experience, a bitter experience. I came home very angry. Um, that kept me drinking, you know? And, uh, how many years did you spend out there? One year. And I spent two two months in the hospital in Japan. And I got wounded. We got ambushed and I got wounded with a grenade. And uh, I remember they put me on a chopper. And after that, I remember waking up in the Philippines. Wow. And uh, it, it was so crowded there that they sent us to Camp Zama in Japan. <clears throat> and what happened was <clears throat> I was so infected, they couldn't operate on me and sew me up because I was so infected. So they filled me up with antibiotics. They finally knocked the infection out of me and they were able to sew me up. So and where sewed was, me up. I got where was the healed wound? up. Huh? Where was the wound? Wounds in my left leg, my left side, my left ankle, the back of my left, all of my left back. So you had you multiple know, I still wounds. got metal flowing through me, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, I figured, oh, geez, I'm halfway home. I'm in Japan, you know. Get my orders up. Oh, run my duty, Vietnam. <laughs> I go back. They as sent a you place as a replacement. They sent to you another back? unit to another unit in a oh whole my. different atmosphere. <laughs> oh my god. They sent you yeah. back after you got injured like that? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's rough. But that's that's how desperate they were for people, you know. Uh. And how much more time did you spend out there after that? That was, uh, I, I got back in February for Tet, um, the offensive, Tet Offensive in 1968. And I was there from February till September when I, when I uh, rotated out of Vietnam. Oh, wow. So nine more months. Yeah. 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 And, uh, what so tell me about what would it what it was like coming home? Coming home, it's funny. I on my way going there, the last person that I saw was my brother Bob and my my sister in law Betsy. And when I was coming home, we we uh, we were in California, and uh, I took a flight to Chicago. And the first ones I saw on the way home was Uncle Bob and Aunt Betsy. Hmm. Yeah. And uh and then I got home to Newark and I can remember people standing on the 
the deck above us spitting at us, telling us what war criminals we were and baby killers. And, you know, it was just, it was horrible. It was oh, wow. disgusting the way people didn't have a clue what we would just went through, you know? Yeah. And, uh, they wouldn't hold the, the, uh, politicians responsible but they they wanted to hold us responsible you know make us look like the bad guys yeah and uh and everybody thinks you're a little crazy which who the fuck wouldn't be would you what you just experienced you gotta mm-hmm. be a little fucking crazy mm-hmm. you know some guys handle it and some guys can't handle it and other guys drink through it and other guys get do drugs through it, you know, and it's uh it's 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 different kind of experience of life, you know. Now I see what's going on in Ukraine and it I want to go over there and 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 zero right in on Putin and take him out. This man is worse than Hitler. This is yeah. this is inhumane. This this ain't right. What's going on? And, and it's, I don't know can... what's the matter with this Biden and the rest of these. Poland is doing a fantastic job. Those people in Poland, I I admire them so much. You know, helping these people out. And it's scary because we're witnessing all that. We have all the videos, all the pictures. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's that's horrible. it. There's no denying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask, like, when you were out there, how was it for your family? You know, your mother and your and your father had passed. But how did your mom deal with that? You know, you get sent out there. Well, I'm sure she prayed for me every day. I'm sure, she, uh, you know, she thought of me every day. You know, I write her. I wrote her, you know, whenever I could. When she died, as a matter of fact, I still have a stack of letters that I sent to her. She kept every one of them, mm-hmm. you know. And... Um, I, I can only imagine what she was feeling, you know, and how worried she was for her son who's in this senseless war, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I remember when, uh, when, I, when I signed in, uh, when I signed up, my mother said to my brother, Bob, I, I think I'm going to keep him out. You know, he's the sole supporting son at home. So legally, you know, I could have got deferred from going to Vietnam. But my brother Bob said, no, let him go, you know, <laughs> let him go. So that was, uh, I thanked him for that because otherwise I wouldn't have that experience, you know, as, as horrible as it was at the time and for a time after it, you know, it was, it was tough. So but, you, don't, uh, you don't regret it? You don't regret going? No. How, how, how do you regret going? You know, um, uh, we were brainwashed into this is the thing to do. You know, it's just like these these guys today who who volunteered to go to Afghanistan. When they seen them jets go through the World Trade Center, these kids are sitting in high school saying, I'm signing up. And then to wind up, come home and you see the stories on TV, mm-hmm. no legs, no arms. No, you know, it was different in Vietnam. You, you got wounded that seriously. You died. It was, they couldn't get you out fast enough. It was, it's a little different in Afghanistan where these guys are being saved and 
rightfully so they have a, a, the, the right to stay alive you know yeah and to live life as best they can so it's a difficult life and, though, uh, for any for anyone coming back from yeah. any war yeah i mean these people are given their all doing the right thing for the country it's mm-hmm. what the country asks them that's what they do and they're all volunteers you know they weren't drafted mm-hmm. no yeah. i mean i love them all and and tell me about like so what was it like being home again after that experience uh, it was uh, tough to get used to the first couple of weeks. Uh, it was so quiet and peaceful, you know. Um, I remember one morning my mother coming in and um, she nudged me on the shoulder and I rolled over and I punched her in the chest. Whoa. And she went flying into the, into the closet. Huh. And I said, Ma, you can't do that to me. You can't sneak up on me like that, you know? But it was my reaction, you know? And uh, you're still always looking over your shoulder. You know, you, you gotta lose that uh, alertness, being alert to anything that can happen, you know? So. Constantly it, on it. Taking edge. used to and, yeah, constantly on edge and um, and people not having a clue what you experienced, you know. That must and have been I was really... never one. Yeah. I was never one to really talk about it either. You know? um, yeah. I remember one time on the golf course with your, your, grand, your grandfather and your Uncle Tom. We were playing some course in California near Tommy's house. And um, there was the three of us and this black guy joined us and it wound up that he was, I don't know if he was a doctor, if he was a nurse in the, in the, in the army, became the doctor and whatever. And he was talking about Vietnam and uh, your father said to me, well, yeah, why, why didn't you talk about Vietnam? Why didn't you, for what? That's that's gone. I I won't try to forget it. And you want to strike up a conversation all about it. I don't want to talk about it. You know, but he he couldn't understand that. Yeah. You know? Why wouldn't you talk about it? Yeah. Because I don't want to. Yeah. Do you think talking about it can be helpful in some ways? Um. Yeah, if you have the right listeners, and if and if you're willing to really open up which i could never do mm-hmm. yeah like too many things that i couldn't i couldn't get out i didn't want to uh, rehash i didn't want to um, it, it happened the way it was and that's it you know yeah it's gone have you yeah. been able to make peace with it now in some sort of way yeah after years yeah after years um because not understanding what was going on, not knowing, I didn't have a clue what post-traumatic stress was. And, uh, and then 40 years later, you find out 
you know, you might be affected. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I guess I might be. You know? Yeah. You think, yeah, yeah maybe. you think, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, it's just like in football, all these guys with these brain injuries. Do you know how many fucking times I cracked my fucking head open, Sam? I couldn't count the times. <laughs> I couldn't count them. And you yeah. talk about your brain being jarred and not being able to think straight and not be rational at times and, you know, and flying off the handle. And, and then you, you start to realize this is, this is what causes this stuff, you know? Yeah. And, but you didn't, you know, it's like the old German saying too soon, old, too late, smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so what did you do after you came back? What did you do with yourself? Did you get a job? Did you move back in with your no, mom? No, I was engaged. I was engaged. And um, I wanted to go to California. And I couldn't move the, the, the girl out of the neighborhood. She grew up. And uh, wound up getting married. Worked for your 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 great grandfather, um, Metropolitan Life, mm -hmm. the insurance business. Yeah, mm -hmm. I try this out. I go to New York. I go to the classes. I I flunk the test, and I got to go back to to take the test, and you have to go out and I was I had a debit a debit. It was a black book. There were two of them. They were about this thick, you know, about, I don't know, eight inches thick. Whoa. And each page, you know, was your account. And uh, I used to have to go around and collect nickel and dime policies every month, hmm. you know, and try to sell insurance at the same time. And my biggest thrill in that business was uh, I wrote an insurance policy a whole life insurance policy for $2,000 for a man who was blind and had diabetes. And um, the wife was so appreciative that I would try to get her husband life insurance. So I took an application and I put it in. And my manager says to me, oh, that's a big sale, huh? I says, <laughs> It's not the sale. It doesn't mean nothing, the sale. It's trying to help somebody out. You know? This mm -hmm. woman thanked me um, that at least now she had $2,000 to bury her husband. Yeah. Yeah. And she gave me a tie. Oh, really? Yeah. That's and do you know, sweet. Sam, I still have it. You got it? I still have the tie. You know, that's a nice It reminds story. me of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my big thrill in insurance business. I said, nah, this ain't for me. It's definitely not for me. You know. It sounds like uh, you, you know, dropping out of school, being a bit of a troublemaker. I can't picture you doing that type of white collar job. Yeah, no, it wasn't in my, my uh, DNA. Yeah. You know? And then uh, uh, before, before I, uh, after I left the, the textile company when I was 17, I went to work for Pappy Huff. Mm -hmm. Pappy Huff was a, a machinist who, uh, 
who, when he was younger, raced uh, mini race cars. And we would do work for all the, all the race car drivers in New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania. They'd come from all over to, to the Pappy Huff shop, you know. And we would, we would make rims wider. We would, we would balance drive shafts, shorten drive shafts, lengthen drive shaft, whatever they needed, machine shop, you know. Mm. Pappy Huff. And, but at that time, and I was making good money with him. But at that time, that's when, you know, I started getting drug and stuff. So I had to get out of town. And, and that's when I went to service. And Pappy says to me, you're doing the right thing, kid. I yeah. mean, you know, he's a great guy. Yeah. Oh, man. And um, my grandma told me about how you had a business in Passaic Ecology Auto Parts or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me about yeah. Ecology Auto Parts. And uh, she said you had some trouble with the politicians there. Oh, trouble. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, you know, I, I, I always use the analogy that it's where you come from and, and how you're brought up and what you learn. You know? And my mother and father were never a political family. Um, we knew we, could, we were conservatives. You know, I knew I was conservative and still am today, Sam, you know, in my DNA, mm-hmm. you know, and it's how I was brought up. So it is what it is. Anyway, um, where was I at? The Ecology Auto Parts. Oh, Ecology Auto Parts. Yeah. Um. I worked for Beckman's as in a, it was a repair shop, a local repair shop in town. And Charlie and were, were just wonderful people. And uh, I worked there for opportunity to make some more money. Owned by um, a family that was in the same neighborhood, Quackenack Gardens, grandma lived. They grew mm-hmm. Grew up there. We went to St. Phillips together, two brothers. And uh, um, uh, it's my granddaughter asking if she can get some ice cream. (laughs) So uh, uh, I I worked, uh, I went to work for them in the junkyard, small junkyard. And the guy was, he was an alcoholic and I was an alcoholic along with him. And everybody that worked with us were, was an alcoholic, you know. And, uh, but it, we weren't going anywhere. And there was, there was room for uh, achievement. And, uh, you know, I didn't see the opportunity for me. So I mm-hmm. had a strike out on my own. And it was a junkyard in Passaic for sale. And it was on um, three quarters of an acre, a little tiny spot. Mm-hmm. And um, so I bought it from a guy. And um, I, I borrowed 5000 from my mother. And um, Dr. Doerr, who was a local physician, who was just a tremendous guy with everybody. He was so generous and, and so giving. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Doerr, 
uh, co-signed a note for me for 90 days for mm -hmm. another 5,000. So I was on my way, you know, and uh, I started to build this business and uh, started to make some money. Yep. And there was an old foundry uh, in town, which was only a couple blocks away. And uh, it was for sale. And I said, oh, I'm going to look at this place. The building was 100 years old. The walls were, were a foot and a half of solid um, um, uh, red brick. Uh, it had uh, 10,000 square feet in, indoors with these big furnaces, huge cranes, and um, they casted everything. It was all sand floors because oh, wow. they would melt the iron and, and cast the iron on the floor into, uh, you know, ingots of whatever it was they were making. And um, so I went in there and it was the Binz brothers and there were four of them. And the oldest one was like 98 and the youngest one was like 89. Mm -hmm. you know? And they said, yeah, I make a deal. And so I made a deal with them. So um, I make a deal with them. And one of the politicians comes to me and says, oh, don't close on that property because if you close on that property, we're just going to take it on you. I said, well, rather than go through all this nonsense, give me my $35,000 that I got into a contract. And, uh, you know, I'll be on my way. You can have it. Oh, we can't do that because the project hasn't been approved. I thought, I says, well, uh, what if it doesn't get approved? You know? So anyway, I went ahead and I bought it. And every day was hell. They'd come in, the building inspector, and they'd, they'd just stop work order. You need a permit for this. Oh, you need geez. a permit for that. You got to do this. You got to <laughs> do that. Yeah. Why would they, why were they, why were they giving you such a hard time, you think? Because they didn't want me there. Why? Because they wanted this project to go through, the slow in come housing project so they needed oh. my parcel you know oh, to do I see. it yep they wanted the land and they wanted to knock it down and, and then something and else. then they try to make a bad guy out of me yeah. yeah they try to make a bad guy out of me saying that i was trying to uh you know defraud the city and you know embezzle money from them and, you know. mm -hmm. then they just made things tough and miserable for me so then i found <laughs> the place in Passaic. yep that had a license. So I go there, I talk to this guy, he was a wise guy, and uh, I made a deal with him. And we moved again. Mm -hmm. And uh, they gave me a hard time. <laughs> really? They just kept busting my balls. Oh, you know? man. So, you got on the wrong side. And, and so one day, one day, uh, my lawyer and I are in City Hall. And he, uh, he says to me, Al, you ever talk to the mayor? I said, look, uh, I says, I tried seeing him several times. He won't see me. You know, I said, maybe that you're with me. He'll see us. 
So sure enough, he said, oh, the mayor will see you. So we go into this conference room and there's me and my lawyer and there's Chuck Cherisia, who is the head of the zoning board or planning board, one of them things. The business administrator, Fat Ken Mahoney, and, um, and somebody else. Who was the other guy? Might have been one of the councilmen. Anyway, in comes the mayor. So I stand up. I put out my hand, shake his hand. Uh, he leans over, he said to me, you are a pain in my ass. <laughs> I took his hand, Sam. I put such a, a, a lock on his hand and I leaned over closer to him and I said, Mr. Mayor, as much as a pain in the ass that I'm to you, I said, you're twice the fucking pain in the ass to me. And I let go of his hand and I said, come on, Pat, let's go. Who do you think you're talking to? The, this fat Ken Mahoney, the business administrator, is yelling at me now. Yeah. Uh, who do you think you're talking to? I said, who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> I said, what are you people trying to do? Kill me? Who are you going to kill me? You can't hurt me. You know, mm -hmm. I'm trying to have a business here and bring money into the city, pay my taxes, and all I do is get resistance from you people. I don't understand. You know? And I always said it was because I wasn't brought up in the environment. We weren't a political family. Mm -hmm. We didn't know how the game works. You see how the game works. Look mm -hmm. at Joe Biden. Look mm -hmm. at Hunter Biden. That's how the game works. Yeah. <laughs> as corrupt as it is, yep. that's how the game works. And either uh, so many good people get into politics and they see how the game works and they get right the fuck out because mm -hmm. they don't want part of it. You can, you can get it, Marnie. Yeah. So... So what do you think? Uh, we've done at least an hour, but I could keep going if you want to got some more stuff. to This is I'm having a nice time here. What do you think? Just checking in. Whatever, whatever you decide. Uh, you know, I'm full of spit and vinegar right now. And, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, in two minutes from now, I might keel over and, <laughs> and pass out. Yeah. You know? Well, let's, it's such, you know, know, it's 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 I'm on a roller coaster ride right now, Sam. Yep. You know, yep. emotionally and, and physically and. I know. You know the whole bit crazy. It's been crazy. It's a crazy life. Well, um, yeah, it is. What about how about some positive stuff? We're talking about we talked about the war. We talked about the problems with the business. What about some happy memories? You got any like fun, upbeat material? Oh, yeah, I got happy memories of taking my uh, kids to the beach every summer for a month rent a house for him and you know mm -hmm. um spending time with my my family christmas time you know going by grandma's you know the old tradition tell me about that starting yeah. a family tell me about your family about what did you get married oh yeah yeah i was married when i was 20 years old mm -hmm. 20 21 years 20 years old yeah mm -hmm. hi bud what do you want Okay. Money, you want a piece of that cake your brother bought? I got my grandchildren here. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Come here, guys. Say hello to 
one of your long distance cousins. This is Sam. This is Uncle Tom's grandson. Hello. Yeah, get over here so he can see you. This is Abdul. Hey, Abdul. Nice to meet you. We're making a podcast. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Yeah. Okay. Imani, come here. Say hello to Sam. This is Imani, my granddaughter. Hi, Imani. Come over here so he can see you. Hi, Imani. So nice to see you. He said, hi, Imani. Hi. (laughs) I see you. Tell her we're making a podcast. Yeah. We're making a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Sam's doing a whole thing. So, yeah, tell me about your family. You Did you have, um, you got married when you were 20? I had Danielle. Mm -hmm. We got married. Waited a year. And, um, uh, Danielle came along 1971 mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, I, I, I bought my first house in Clifton on Thomas Street mm-hmm. yeah, just when she was born and uh, we lived there and then Andrea in 75 she was born mm-hmm 75? Yeah, 75. And, um, you know, they went to the local schools, local the public schools. I had the junkyard. And uh, Lorraine worked with me, you know. Um, and we did that for uh, about 12 years. And then uh, I decided I had enough. I got tired of, you know, I was in business during the um, Jimmy Carter years mm-hmm. when, when interest rates were 19 and three quarters percent. And I was paying two points over prime. Oh, wow. So I was paying 21 and three quarter percent to borrow money along with gas shortages, taxes, insurance Mm -hmm. you know i was working for everybody else i got to the point where i said i had enough you know Mm -hmm. uh, i'm getting out Mm -hmm. so i sold the property i liquidated i had so many go oh well i want to buy i was 10 years ahead of my time you know and uh because i i was a full recycler Mm and um i uh I had people approach me and they wanted to buy it. I said, yeah, you can buy it. This is what it's going to cost you. And none of them could ante up, mm-hmm. you know? So I did just as well liquidating. And uh, I got out of that and, and, and I took a year off. Mm-hmm. And I went and I lived in uh, Long Beach Island. Nice. I had a house there. And I, I built a little... Garvey from my neighbors uh, across the street, the Lipinski brothers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I spent the summer, uh, you know, doing nothing. Go out out in the Garvey and, and digging up clams and uh, throwing my uh, um, uh, crab nets out 
and fish in the channel for fluke or flounders. Yeah. That sounds like a nice and time. It was it was a real nice time. It was very a very soothing time for me. And yeah. of course, you know, my kids, they, they followed me everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, when Danielle was in college, Andrew was in high school. And as the, the day they finished school, they'd be waiting for me to pick them up. You know, Danielle had an apartment in, by Rutgers and uh, New Brunswick there. And uh, I would go to her apartment and load everything up bring it to my house and you know the next year we start over again you know mm-hmm. take her back to Rutgers <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. so then uh, it got old and uh, you know I always wanted to go to California yeah you mentioned that but you didn't yeah. because your first uh, your your wife didn't want to go she didn't want to go anywhere you know, I missed so many opportunities. Uh, for buying even junkyards. There was a, a yard up in Pennsylvania for sale that was like 30 acres. You know, and and I wanted to buy that. And I said, I'm not moving to Pennsylvania. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. So I, when once I had the freedom, once I liquidated everything, I had the freedom to do what I wanted, you know. And I yeah. said, I'm out of here. I went to California. Nice. Where did you go? I drove my Corvette cross country. I went to San Francisco. Oh, I wow. stayed with a, a friend of a friend of your cousin Jimmy's. This mm-hmm. guy Jonathan, mm-hmm. a big uh, uh, big Tennessee boy, you know, really smart guy. Anyway, I stayed with him eight months. What did you think of San Francisco? He, he and what tired. year? What year was that? Yeah. Nineteen eighty-three. Eighty-three. And what? Tell me about San Francisco in nineteen eighty-three. Um, it was a pretty clean, uh, pretty nice town. Had uh, a small homeless problem. Not, not what it is today, of course. You should see it today. It's crazy. You know, I live oh. in o- Oakland, California. Yeah, I know. I know. And uh, it's a shame to see one of the most beautiful cities in the world be destroyed the way it has, you know. Um, I remember being there one time, watching the news, and there was an Irish girl who came to San Francisco for the summer to work. Her mother says, please don't go, please don't go, it's too dangerous. Well, of course, she got robbed, shot in the back. And, you know, that's when I started to see the decline in San Francisco. And this so was in 83? Little, this was 80, uh, 83, yeah. Yeah. 84, maybe. And uh, little by little, you know, the Tenderloin got worse. Mission got worse, you know, downtown Market Street is, you know, not the place I remember, you know. Yeah, it's a beautiful place, though. I love San Francisco. I I thought it was just, I used to walk miles and miles and miles a day. 
Oh, really? You know, up and down hills. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I saw a lot of the city, you know. Yeah. I never had money to do much, though. That was the problem, you yeah. know. What were you doing for money um, out there? You know, I, I, I couldn't find a job, you know. I was from, from uh, the East Coast. And what references did I have? I worked for myself. Right. You know. So it, it, that became tough. So on Van Ness Street, there was a vet center down by City Hall. And um, I went in there one day. I said, you guys help with jobs? And uh, they said, well, you, you're a veteran. And, you know, and I have you know, have you ever applied for, uh, for benefits? Benefits? What benefits? All I've ever heard from any time I went for any kind of assistance from the VA is we ran out of money for you people years ago. You yeah. know? So uh, I started to find out that I was entitled to some benefits, you know. In the interim, you know, I don't have any health insurance, so I signed into the healthcare plan. Yeah. And now I, I moved to um, uh, Santa Cruz. Uh, first, I went from, from San Francisco. I lived in Hayward mm -hmm. with Dottie Kraft, who was grandma's, one of grandma's best friends. Hmm. And she had her, all her boys living with her. <laughs> you know. And what's one more? You know, she had a family of seven. Yeah. So, that's your uh, your father-in-law calling me. Oh, he's probably going to um, ask how, it, how it's going. Yeah. You want to yeah. talk to him? No. All right. I'll talk to him later. So you went down to Santa Cruz. So I went to Hayward first. Yeah. Hayward, yeah. I went to Hayward first. And uh, I started a business with... Dottie's son. He had uh, he did um, mobile truck repairs. So I started working for him. I said, "Man, I said we should go after these contracts ourselves." Mm -hmm. So he says, "Well, you think so?" I said, "Yeah." So I sat down. I wrote up all these contracts for Budweiser. Um, there was a moving company, Nabisco. We did all Nabisco's trucks changed oils um i had to be in the morning there to make sure all the lights work and you know uh, and whatever repairs they needed we did the repairs on them and we were making good money well he was i wasn't mm -hmm. so so i told i finally told him i said jared listen you have to get the book straightened out and i said i want to check every week but i can't have a check every week i gotta move on yeah. Yeah. Well, I pay my mother for. I says, listen, you give me a paycheck, I'll pay your mother. You know, you don't have to pay my bills for me. Mm -hmm. I'm a big boy. <laughs> no, I want a paycheck. Yeah. So right after that, the father comes to me. He said, Oh, you know, Albert, if you're going to leave Jerry, uh, you know, you're going to have to move. I said, oh, That's fine. I said, Mr. Kraft, let me ask you something. Every morning, I used to see you walk up that. Mount Washington Drive, or no, Claverack Road, he used to go up to the bus stop to go into New York. He was a truck mechanic. Mm -hmm. And he would take the bus into New York and do his work. And I says, 
all the time you went to New York, at the end of the week, did you get a check? That's all I asked for. I said, I go to work every day. I would bust my ass. I saw as I wanted my check. There's not a lot to ask. No. You know, pay me. So I had to move on. So I meet. One time I'm back east. I forget for what. Might have been Aunt Lynn's funeral. Mm -hmm. I don't remember now. But anyway, I run into this kid's mother who I grew up in a neighborhood with, Steve Schultz. Mm-hmm. And she said, Oh, you're in California now. You should call Steve. He'd love to see you. So I got to move out of Hayward. Who do I call? I call Steve. I don't know anybody else here. I've been a loner all my life. You know, mm-hmm. here I am in California. What am I going to do? I got to call on people you know. This is the only one I know. Yep. Yeah, well, my um, roommate, they rented a house and the roommate was out of town for months and you could rent her room. I said, okay, so I rented her room. In the interim, I meet this girl through Steve. She has a house in Aptos and it's got a studio downstairs. I can rent that. I said, okay, I'll rent that. Beautiful. Mm. Right by the beach, you know, a couple blocks away from the beach. Central California. That's nice. Cold and damp. Yep. But I loved it there. What was the name and, of the uh, town? Aptos. Aptos. Never heard of that town. Where is it? It's between Santa Cruz and Watsonville. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. If you look on a beach, it's got a cement ship there. Mm-hmm. That they grounded years ago and I think they used to have it as a restaurant or something at one time, you know, years and years ago. Yeah. But then the, the uh, surf, you know, destroyed it. Yeah. So you were out there in the redwood trees and. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. I love it out here. Northern California is just something else. That's where. Um, there were railroad tracks there. Mm-hmm. So Sarah used to go to work and and I had um, her, her dog, what was her name? Uh, um, it was a black lab female. Mm-hmm. Can't remember her name now. But I used to take her and we used to walk the railroad track. And I would walk the railroad tracks for miles. Mm-hmm. And I started picking up railroad spikes that were discarded. Um, either they they bent or they popped out of the you know the railroad tides, and they yep. were laying all over the sides of the railroad track. So I started picking them up. Before you know it, I used to walk with two five gallon buckets. <laughs> I used to go up and down, and you know you couldn't fill them. You know I could put maybe a. Uh, a quarter or a third spikes it because I had to walk with these two yeah yeah yeah, exactly but that's uh, when I started bringing them home and I I started doodling with them and I started making stuff and that I don't know if you ever saw the surfer at your grandfather's house I think I have yeah yeah it's made out of railroad spikes 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you became, yeah. so you kind of moved to California. You got in touch with your artistic side a little bit, it sounds like. I always had artistic side. I was very creative, um, even in the yard when I had the junkyard, um, racking and uh, palletizing things and mm-hmm. motors on roller stands and, you know, yeah, um, rear end racks. I would weld them all together, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I started welding all these spikes together. I did um, y- your uncle Tom. I gave him one that was like a, a sun. That's the one I, I don't remember. Know if you ever saw it? That's the one I remember the most. Yeah, like a big sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made that. I sold a few. You know, that's cool. Um, they used to have a festival in. in uh, in uh, Aptos that people used to go to all the artists' homes and buy their art. Mm. They would say, you know, and I wasn't on the list because I was a a renegade, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I didn't want to be no part of no art association. (laughs) They would say, oh, you got to stop by Al. Go look at some of his spikes. Yeah. And a few people came over. And then a few people bought things, you know, they thought it was unique. Yeah. So. How long yeah, did you live in, uh, how long did you live in California? 23 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Experienced a lot of California too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw a lot of it um, from uh, San Francisco. So Hayward, Santa Cruz, Aptos, um, uh, back to Santa Cruz. Uh, Santa Cruz, I moved to Fresno. Fresno, I moved to San Diego mm-hmm. with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Jimmy sold the house and I wound up living in a Motel 6. Mm-hmm. To like find some place to live, and I finally found a place in Vista that I rented from a Japanese guy, and uh, I spent I don't know sixteen years there in, oh, wow. in, in San Diego, and 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 the most perfect climate in the world mm-hmm. because it was like a Mediterranean climate, and it was five miles inland from the from the coast. So in the morning, when the coast would be fogged in, by nine o'clock, the sun was out by me, you know? And it was just 70 degrees average, yeah. perfect weather. So what was, what was your favorite place in California of all the places you've been to? Um, I would say Vista because... It, it, was the uh, for the location the climate um you know san diego is a golf golfer's heaven in the world yep you know and um it, it was just a nice place to live you know yeah it sounds like it yeah yeah it was just i mean i was very content but then uh Things turned on me again. You know, the Jap guy japped me. You know, um, after I did a lot of work on it, I put a roof on the house. 
I put a little, it had a patio in the back, so I closed it in and I put nice French doors into the living room and I, I did tile floors and, you know, I made it my home, you know, because that's the agreement I made with this guy. Yeah. You know, I pay him his rent and I can do whatever I want to do. And I can, you can stay there till you die. I said, okay, good. If he sells it, they'll give me a piece of it. I said, okay, that's fine. Uh, it didn't have a happy ending, you know. What happened? And it's lucky I got out of there when I did because I probably would have choked the little skinny bastard. You know? <laughs> what did he do? What happened? But, uh, nothing. I packed up and left. You know, he oh. gave me a. He just evicted he you? Gave, huh? He just evicted you? Yeah, he evicted me. He went and got papers and, uh, you know, I had uh, a month to get out. So uh, that's when. Andrew was here and uh, I knew she had the daughter and didn't know about the son. Mm. You know? So I said, well, let me go to South Carolina and see if I can keep her on a straight track. Mm-hmm. And especially with two kids, you know, well, with drug addicts as far gone as she is, um, she couldn't take care of these kids. So, I snatched them from her and they're here with me now, you know, and uh, not what I, I planned. Yeah. Now you've got children uh, again at the end of your life. How does that feel? It must, it's a pretty interesting turn of events. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's trapped me. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I'm trapped. I don't know what to do with these kids. I don't want to see them separated. I don't want to go foster homes, you know. Of course. Um, and I want to give them a shot in life. That's yeah. that's all I could do is give them a shot. They do have my blood in them, you know. Yeah. So uh, I, I feel like I have a responsibility to them, you know. So, they seem like really nice kids. They are. They are. They're good kids. They're. I mean, they're. Don't get me wrong. They're kids, and he's a pain in the ass. But he's coming around. He's starting <laughs> to. He's starting to realize that grandpa can't do. You can't do much. You know. Yeah. Uh, I just can't do it, Sam. I don't have the strength. I don't have the. I have the ambition to do it. Yeah. I get out there and I rake a little bit, but my shoulder is killing me, and they they want me taking any painkillers because they're worried about because of the esophagus cancer. They don't want me getting ulcers, so I got to watch what pain pills I take. So they give me creams and they give me patches, and nothing works. And, yeah, uh, my days and nights are mixed up. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I I'm up all night and uh, I sleep during the day when the kids are at school. You know, I get myself in a comfortable position where I could sleep for a few hours. Yeah, yeah, and I'm supposed to eat every hour, every hour because. If I eat too much at one time, it gets blocked up and then I throw up, you know. That's right. So I can only eat small increments of food. So they want me to eat every hour. And I'm not that disciplined where I can eat every hour on the hour, you know. It sounds like a pain so in I the ass. I eat when I'm hungry. and huh? Sounds like a pain in the ass. You know, well, it's life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. that's life. Yeah. That, my life anyway, you know, this is what it is. It is a pain in the ass. You know, yeah, it's it's tough when, you know, I, I go to 
I, I don't know if I mentioned to you, I went to uh, the doctors last week or the week before, and they said, oh, you're doing great. You're looking great. You're doing better than we ever thought you would. Um, but you're never going to be what you were. Yeah. That's a hard thing to hear, I imagine. That, that was, I mean, that sent me right back. I never heard that before. You know, I never had to deal with a comment like that, a negative comment like that. And uh, that's right. Because when I, well, I had the kidney operation in 94, I had cancer in the kidney and uh, they ripped that out. And I bounced right back from that. And then a year later, they found some lymph nodes with spots and they didn't know what it was. They got to go in and check. And so they cut me open like a fucking pig, right? You know, they cut my stomach right open, mm -hmm. pulled everything out. When I got oh, the lymph nodes, put everything back in, and I bounced back from that. You know, that's crazy. And uh, I felt good for years until this happened. And and this, the doctor told me, "You sure you want to do this? Because this is this is hard. One of the hardest operations there are. This is harder than open heart surgery. And you know, you want to." I said, "What are uh, what are the, my uh, other you know resources? What are the other?" You know, what are your options, options I have? You know, well, they're not much, you know. So I went through all that radiation for months and months, and they just burn you, burn your esophagus, burn your oh, And then gosh. every week, once a week, you go for chemo, you know. And that wasn't bad to deal with, but the uh, radiation was tough. Sounds tough. Because I couldn't eat anything. You know, and they said when I started the radiation, you want a feeding tube. And I said, fuck, no, I don't want a feeding tube. I can feed myself. You know? Yeah, of course. And Danielle says to me, because Danielle was here for six months with me when I got operated on. Uncle Tom was here. Your, your, your father uh, was here for, I don't know how long, weeks. And uh, Uncle Tony came down and Michelle Papa. In North Carolina, she came down and, uh, you know, everybody helped out. Mm -hmm. Uncle Bob was going to come mm -hmm. and he had a stroke the morning he was supposed to come here. Yeah. And I says, oh, shit, look what I did to my brother. Oh, you no. Know? You guys are having, you guys are having bad luck. Me. Yeah, yeah. You guys are having yeah. a bad luck right now. Do you yeah. want me to, yeah. uh, do you want me to send you some, uh, some cannabis gummies? I've got, you know, I could get you all types of stuff for your. Oh yeah. Whatever you can send me, send me. Yeah. <laughs> send me your address. Yeah. I'll send you a care package. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 I appreciate it. Yeah. So many people, Danielle's paranoid about sending me anything. Oh yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know. And, I don't and really care. David, David sends me stuff. You no. Know. And you know, when I lived in Vista, I don't know if you saw the plants that I grew. I heard that they and, were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I had a I had quite a run, quite a run. Never made a nickel, Sam. Never, Never. Made, gave it all away. That's the best. That's the best. I we did so, we did away. that. We we grew a bunch in my in my yard in Oakland the last summer. We just had one plant, but we got a big jar and it was really good. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of plants from season to season, <laughs> you know, and uh, and I would mail it out all over to, to guys that I knew they had a smile on their face. 
Mm-hmm. A couple of guys were alcoholics. They quit drinking. Yeah. They it couldn't helps. thank me enough. It helps. Yeah. It's funny. You got, you're like kind of, you are the black sheep of the family in a lot of ways. Going to California really had a pretty different life from the rest of the family. Oh, yeah. My life compared to my brother. My brothers are saints. <laughs> they're saints. Believe me. Yeah. They're all, they're, the three of them, they're saints. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my grandpa, you know, he is, he's really passionate about getting this podcast done. He really wants to capture the family history. It means a lot to him. So it's nice to time, find the time, you know, to talk. Yeah, about. it is. It is. It, it should be an ongoing thing. Yeah. yeah. We'll make it an ongoing thing. We don't have to, this doesn't have to be the last time too. We can talk again if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. You know, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I hope <laughs> I'm so. Here, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to leave us with any thoughts or reflections on your life or on, you know, anything, any last thoughts uh, before we wrap it up? I want to do a recording. Um, uh, Frank Sinatra's My Way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that, you know, when you relate to music, you can relate to a song when you do it my way. And believe me, I did it my way. Yeah, with, with with all the ups and downs and good times and bad times, I did it my way. And the thing is, you know, I'm responsible for it all. You know, I got nobody to blame for the for the mistakes that I made. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I only wish more people would take responsibility for their actions. Mm-hmm. You know? Be responsible for themselves without saying, "Oh, it's his fault." Oh, blame it on Trump. Trump's yeah. the, Trump did it. Blame it on Putin. Putin, Putin's the one. You know, blame everybody else but yourself. You don't mm-hmm. you know, realize that you're the cause of the, all the situations. You know? Yeah, I, I agree. yeah, but I was the black sheep. I mean, I did, I did things that uh, that I'm not proud of. You know, and uh, but uh, I did a lot of good things too. You know. Mm-hmm. So, it's life, you know, everybody experiences, everybody's got a story, like me and my buddy Gino, everybody's got a story. Mm-hmm. You know, some are more interesting than others. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, you're talking to a guy who's making his career out of telling stories and recording stories. So I enjoy this type yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Well, that's how you learn, you know, mm-hmm. you, know you, you get to know people, you, you know, people say, oh yeah, I, I met Al Papa last year. You know, I know who he is. I, you don't have a fucking clue who I am. <laughs> yeah. You, when you know somebody, you know somebody for 20 years, you know their family, you know their background, uh, you know their traits, you know, and you learn a lot about them. But uh, it takes time to learn people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sure does. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that reflection. It's a nice one. You papas all you all do have this in common. You all were your own bosses and you had this independent streak. I saw it in my grandpa and it's, you know, it's I I see it in myself too. I I hate working for people. I hate it. I love yeah, working yeah. for myself, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's the best way to live. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going to I'm going to sign off. We got okay, this is Sam, the longest it was a one. Okay, pleasure. That we've recorded. So I'll let you know when we post it up, we'll send you the link. Okay. Very good. 
And send me oh, your address in the text thread, okay? I will. Thanks, Sam. All right. I appreciate you and your stories. Right. I'll talk to you soon. Good night. Good night.